0: Hey friends, Jen here. Today, in real time, it's Sunday, May 31st, 2020. Regular listeners of the show know that April and I usually record a week in advance, and that's true of today's episode, which I'll play for you in a moment. But I also want you to know that today's episode was recorded before George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis, not too far from my home. It's hard to know what to say to you all, especially as a person with white privilege. But April and I want you to know that we stand with those calling for justice and change. Our hearts go out to George Floyd's family and friends, and we mourn for him and for the many other Black deaths that preceded his. Finally, April and I want to say, we believe Black lives matter. And now, here's today's episode. Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast, with April Elliott Kent and me, producer and co-host Jen Brown. Hey friends, Jen here. Today is June 1st, 2020. We're entering eclipse season and luckily I happen to know an eclipse virtuosa. So let me give a shout out to my friend, astrologer April Elliot Kent.
1: Hi April. Hello Jen. I like how you use the proper ending, virtuosa. Oh, thank you. I noticed. I pay attention (laughs) to what you're doing. You do pay attention. That's just the kind of thing that my pedantic Virgo planets could really get head up about. If somebody got something, you know, the bravo instead of brava. You know, I do have a degree in Spanish, so that helps. See, that's very true. Well, speaking of words. Yes. And Mercury and all things related to it. We want to celebrate this week a couple of people associated with the podcast who happen to have a strong Gemini emphasis in their birth charts. And it just kind of happened that way by accident. Indeed. But they are two of the people that help us bring the Big Sky podcast to you each week. One of them is our transcriptionist, which there is no better job for a Gemini, I think, (laughs) than a transcriptionist. I agree. And we want to wish him a happy birthday. He will be celebrating his birthday a couple of days after we record this. Happy birthday to our friend. Yes, to our friend. He calls himself the poised consultant. And each week we send him our podcast file and he transcribes all of the weird things that we throw his way. With precision and, yes, with poise. Absolutely. yes. Yeah, so you can find him at Fiverr, and we will put the link in the show notes, but it's fiverr.com. Poised Consult is his business
0: ID. He's been delightful. He's even learned some astrology terms for us. He has. I would like to give him a shout-out.
1: I think he's fantastic because at podcasts like this one, there's so much specialty language. So many terms. And over time, he really has gotten the hang of some of those. So we think it's delightful.
0: Who's the other person you want to give a shout out to, April? I gave a shout out to you in the intro. So you get to give two. Thank you. Well, it's very keeping
1: with Gemini to give two shout outs. The other is our delightful (laughs) social media maven, Emily Lane of Gemini Moon Social Media. Yay, Emily. Yeah, she's a Taurus. She just had a birthday, but she does have the moon in Gemini. And she creates, for people who follow us on Instagram or follow my profile, I think is where we're posting these things. She creates the most whimsical and clever and adorable Instagram stories for the podcast every week. And it's so much fun. So if people want to reach out to Emily, she is taking more social media promotion work. You can email her, geminimoonsocial at gmail.com. And we'll also put that in the show notes.
0: Thank you, Emily. I adore your little gifts that you do for us. Well,
1: she did that famous one one time with Bob Ross. Bob Ross. I mean, classic. And she did a great one with a cow one time. <laughs> oh, the cow. Yeah. So she brings
0: it. I loved the cow. Emily brings it. Yeah. She's great. Thank you, Emily. <laughs> We've never met, but I have a feeling I would like you. I know that you would. I have met her. She is adorable. Just based on the stories that you do.
1: It takes a village to create a podcast like this does. It's a lot of behind the scenes stuff and we're we're very lucky. We have a very nice little team we do that are working with these things.
0: Well, my friend, let's dive in. Huh, there is a lot happening this
1: week. Mm-hmm. Tell us. Yeah. We start the week with a Venus Mars square on June 2nd at 5:41 p.m. Pacific time. And Venus and Mars of course are symbols of relationship and, you know, so are the sun and the moon, but Venus and Mars, we often connect with the idea of relationship. And specifically, this one happens with Venus and Gemini and Mars and Pisces, so there is that element of communication in relationship. A square is always an aspect of some tension, and it just says there is some tension between what it is that we want, especially in relationship, and how we are going to go about getting it, which is what Mars tries to do. Right. The Sabian symbol for Venus at this aspect is two Dutch children talking. And again, with the Sabian symbols, we shouldn't probably get too hung up on reading them literally. The idea here is you have two people who are speaking the same language. I know that I've noticed in a lot of the relationships around me since the beginning of the pandemic and the close down and watching how people's opinions about everything related to that have been changing. And sometimes it's causing some tension in relationships with people who up to now have felt they're really on the same page about things. And now suddenly they see there are some disagreements and we're not necessarily speaking the same language, even with people that we think are very much like us. So that's what came to mind for me when I looked at that Sabian symbol and I thought, well, two Dutch children, they're from the same background and speaking together. But the aspect between Venus and Mars is a square. So it speaks of that conflict and that tension and that we're not necessarily on the same page. And maybe it's speaking in a less
0: complicated way because it's
1: children. Yeah,
0: probably. The Sabian
1: symbol for Mars is 15 Pisces, and that's an officer preparing to drill his men. <laughs> and I said, I told you here on the show sheet that it reminds me, and I think I mentioned this before, of, of course, Bob Ross, who every opportunity I get to insert Bob Ross or the repair <laughs> shop into this podcast, you know I will. Go back to episode eight. <laughs> Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. He did time as a drill sergeant in the army, and he said that that made him decide, you know, once he left the service, to never again raise his voice. And that,
0: to me, is very suitable for Mars and Pisces, too. right? Yeah, because Mars and Pisces, it feels like the exact opposite of what you would think with this Sabian symbol, mm-hmm. you know, although maybe it's kind of a spiritual warrior wanting to help out in a Bob Ross kind of way, <laughs> in a Bob Ross kind of way, because it definitely gives you a particular picture of this idea of a drill sergeant,
1: you know, an officer are getting ready to drill his men. And that's why I kind of wanted to bring that up because Pisces does feel really antithetical to that. Mm-hmm. I think the other point I suppose I might want to make is that in preparing people to go into battle, sometimes you have to probably train them very harshly because eventually in the end, it can save their life and the lives of the people that they're fighting alongside. Good point. So there is that Pisces element a little bit too. There is a, an empathetic reason for it we would say in the long run. But the clash between Venus and Mars, I think this week, at those degrees of those signs, does sort of talk about (laughs) the idea that to some degree we are speaking at each other instead of with each other. Yeah, That isn't intrinsically a bad thing, by the way. It can be good to talk things out. It can be good to even argue in good faith with people that you're in relationship with. Sometimes you have to Sometimes you have to have hard conversations, but this does speak of remembering, I think, that the people who are in your life are in your life for a reason, and it's because of the things that you share in common, and it's doubtful that all of those things have gone away just because you're disagreeing on some important points right now. Nicely said. Well, that brings us to Sun Conjunct Venus the next day. The next day, okay. And that's on June 3rd at 1043 AM PDT in Gemini. And you offered to present the celestial mechanics
0: of this particular conjunction with our fine friends. The astronomy of it. Yes. This will be an inferior conjunction, which basically means that Venus comes between the Earth and the Sun. Venus is the closest that she ever gets to Earth with this conjunction. If you were a cosmic bird up in the heavens, you would see the Sun, Venus, and the Earth lined up all in a row. So that's the deal. That's what's happening astronomically. So that means that Venus, in some ways, is almost trumping the sun
1: for us. Is that the idea?
0: Yes. She is going across the face of the sun. And there's actually a really neat picture of Venus going across the face of the sun, and I'll, I'll link that in the show notes.
1: Yeah. I think we had it in our show notes an episode or two ago. Yeah, so okay. look back through those and link to it again, because it was a nice little YouTube video. I will do that. In terms of astrology... You know, this is an important point, again, in Venus's overall cycle. And we talked about that in last week's episode. Yes, episode 27. Mm-hmm. So we have now gotten to that point, the star point of the sun coming together in conjunction with Venus. So again, it's kind of like a new moon for Venus. It's a new Venus at the beginning of a new cycle. This degree of Gemini, it's 13 degrees of Gemini and change, is important And it will continue to be important for the next five years. So look to where this is in your chart and what house it's in and what aspects it's making to other planets. And it will tell us, hmm, where are you at ground zero and how you're relating to others and how you're relating to yourself. And that is a motif that's going to play out in the coming years. So it's pretty important. Do you have anything around 13 degrees of mutable signs? You know
0: I have all that stuff in Virgo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wish everybody could see her face as she says this. All of this stuff at Virgo. Well, I mean I have the mid heaven at Virgo close to this degree, but it's pretty close to my moon. Isn't I was actually. just gonna say, isn't your moon right around there? It is, yeah. It's at eleven degrees of Gemini. So this is pretty close. Yeah. The Sabian symbol for this conjunction takes us a little bit back to the Dutch children because the Sabian symbol here is a conversation by telepathy. And it said to me something about people with whom you're so close, they don't even have to speak your language. You know, it's telepathic. I like that. Yeah. So it kind of goes beyond language and more to the heart. And how we're connecting with people on that level.
0: That's exactly what I thought. I thought it did. You know, yeah, about conversations without having to verbalize anything, right? Mm -hmm. Conversations without having to speak, and conversations of the heart, which I like for Venus. Right there in the heart of the sun.
1: Yes. But of course, Gemini, being Gemini, will always try to speak. and (laughs) favors words above all other things. But this just sort of tells us there's context to it that's important as well. And a lot of communication goes on beyond the verbal level. And part of that is what it's been missing for a lot of people during this time of quarantine, where people are not able to gather together physically With very many people, and you do miss that tactile element that we also associate with Venus, regardless of her sign. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to Moonwatch. (laughs) I just loved her lead up to that. That was I have nothing to add to that. That's fantastic. You do, come on. (laughs) Moonwatch. (laughs) It's very Oprah, isn't it? Play it, Jen, play it. Oh, Moonwatch is delightful. It thrills us each and every week. It's eclipse week. It's eclipse week. We have a full moon, which is a lunar eclipse Yeah. at 15 degrees and 34 minutes of Sagittarius on June 5th at 12, 12 p.m. Pacific time. We talked a bit about this last week, I think. A little bit, yes. Yeah, because I remember us talking about this degree of the mutable signs. Mm -hmm. So lunar eclipses, they can only happen at a full moon. We get them usually every six months. They happen within two weeks of a solar eclipse. And you can have a solar eclipse without a lunar eclipse, but you can't have a lunar eclipse without a solar eclipse. So that's how that one works. Okay. This eclipse begins in 18 and a half month journey of eclipses in the signs of Gemini and Sagittarius. If you know the signs that the lunar nodes are in, and we know that they're going through Gemini and Sagittarius now, as of recently, you know that in the next year and a half, eclipses are going to happen when the sun is in one of those signs in Gemini or Sagittarius. Right. So we have actually three eclipses in a row coming up this summer. Which
0: is a little more
1: unusual. Yeah. It's not unprecedented, but it's not the norm. What you expect to see is one
0: solar and one lunar. Right. Like we had in December and January. Exactly.
1: This lunar eclipse and then the next new moon is a big one. That is going to be a solar eclipse at zero degrees of cancer Mm -hmm. on the day of the summer solstice here in the northern hemisphere. That's big. Yes. And then we're going to have one more lunar eclipse on 4th of July, which is, of course, a big holiday here in the U.S. So we will talk about all of these in due course. But this is the beginning. So those are final Cancer and Capricorn eclipses. But this is the first in that Gemini and Sagittarius series that we're going to have. Okay.
0: And let me jump in, Mm -hmm. April, and say that the eclipse will be visible in Australia, Africa, and much of Asia and Europe, and the very south and eastern tip of South America. We will not see it here in the United States. So if it doesn't happen for us, does it even really happen? (gasps) Does it? That's the
1: question. It's like a tree falling in the woods with no one there to get hit by it. And what's your answer to
0: your own question?
1: Well, people will ask this sometimes. They say, Well, if I can't see it where I'm at, does it matter? Isn't yeah, it still matters. You're still your chart is still resonating with that. Sure. What I like to do with eclipses is just go back to previous years when we had eclipses near this degree.
0: What are those years? Well,
1: most recently it was actually June fourth in twenty twelve. And that was around the same time we last also had Venus retrograde in Gemini. Wow. So this is strongly resonant of what was happening at the beginning of that summer. So if you want to go back and see what you can remember, especially in your relationships, I always think lunar eclipses are very relationship-oriented. Because the sun and the moon are opposed to each other at that time. Okay. So go back and think of that. And then we had a solar eclipse at this degree in December of 2002 on December 4th. On June 4th, 1993, there was a lunar eclipse at this degree, and that was just a week after Johnny and I were married. Actually, uh-huh. we got married between two eclipses. Uh huh. <laughs> and then uh, December 4th, 1983, there was a solar eclipse. So those are just kind of time periods within, you know, a month or two of those dates, either side, and just look back and think, hmm, there could be messages there about what you could be addressing now, or what didn't get completely finished up then, or what was initiated then that has now come to a
0: renewal period. Yeah, like everything we've talked about with astrology, things happen in cycles, and we are looking back to these times as a footprint of the past. We are indeed...
1: So look to the house of your chart that contains 15 degrees of Sagittarius. And we will link to a blog post that I did that tells you how to find that in your chart. And also if it's making close hard aspects to any planets in your chart. So a conjunction, a square, or an opposition within four degrees either
0: side. Very good.
1: So if you're a little bit unclear how to find these things in your own birth chart, and the blog post doesn't get it done for you, you can avail yourself of my exclusive eclipse report followed by a moon shadow, which you can find at bigskyastrology.com, and just click the little eclipses tab in the main menu. And it'll take you right to it. It's kind of a nifty little
0: report. It's a cool report. I like it. And it gives you three years worth of eclipses, the series from last year, because in order to move forward, it's important to understand your past this year's and the year coming up. It's a well done report. Thank you, Jen. You're welcome. I appreciate that. Yeah, and
1: it does. It just kind of makes it easy and lays it all out for you. If you're not real comfortable
0: finding your way around your chart, you could also have a reading with April. Oh, you absolutely can do that. Always go to BigSkyAstrology.com and click on what's the tab, April? Readings. Readings.
1: There you go. It's cunningly hidden under. <laughs> it's either readings or personal <laughs> readings. I can't remember. We might have had to have made more room on the uh, the menu. I can't remember. And of course you can revisit episode five of this very podcast, Unboxing Eclipses. Indeed. Where we went into extensive detail, especially about the meaning of eclipses falling in the various houses of the chart and in aspect to particular planets in your chart. We covered a lot of ground with that one, so that's a really good place to start, too.
0: Thank you. You're welcome. Do you want to tell us about the Sabian symbols, April, for this eclipse? Sure. Yes. The Sabian symbol for the
1: eclipsed moon is 16 degrees of Sagittarius, seagulls watching a ship. The Sabian symbol for the sun at 16 degrees of Gemini is a woman suffragist orating. So this is the third symbol we have this week that have to do with communication, conversation, talking, speaking out. So it seems kind of appropriate. Yeah. The seagulls watching a ship one's kind of interesting to me. You know, why are seagulls sitting and watching a ship? They want your food. Exactly. They've kind of learned from the past
0: that when that ship comes in, food comes with it. And how appropriate that this eclipse will be happening over the Indian Ocean... Parts of the Pacific, parts of the Atlantic Oceans, and there's the ship with the seagulls circling. (laughs) Or sitting and watching, I guess. Just waiting, just waiting.
1: Um, So, yeah, and they make a lot of noise while they're doing it, and they're sitting there waiting for their ship to come in, as it were. So eclipses always wake us up a little bit. They're times of transition and change where we come to a turn in the road and we have to decide which way to go. And often that comes about in a surprising or not always super pleasurable way because sometimes that's what it takes to wake us up. This says it is issues about getting what we need with the seagulls watching a ship and are you getting what you need emotionally financially physically in all ways oh, I like that yeah so that is one way to look at it but there is that little hint of neediness and desperation about it as well I think we've all sort of recovered from our toilet paper frenzy I was at the supermarket the other day and the shelves were pretty well stocked Oh excellent uh, but... <laughs> But there for a while, it really, I really felt like a seagull sitting there watching for a ship to come in and, you know, bring me my cheese and (laughs) things like that. So, and your toilet paper. (laughs) Yeah. So, this is, I think, an eclipse that puts us in touch with that. And that's a lunar thing anyway, feeling that we have what we need. Mm -hmm. And we've talked before about lunar eclipses. And how they will often make us reach out for physical things to compensate for some emotional issue that we're really dealing with. So if you find yourself feeling a little compulsive about, you know, your eating habits or about shopping or about trying to get things, know that it's very likely around the time of this lunar eclipse that that's not what you really need to fill you up and satisfy you. That's lovely. I like it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And the Sabian symbol for the sun, which is the woman's suffragist orating, is an interesting one because she is getting up on her soapbox and she's speaking out for her rights.
0: Yes, for equality. Mm -hmm.
1: There's a little bit of a balancing act going on, too, with these Sabian symbols at this lunar eclipse. On the one hand, you have, I need this. This is mine. I'm asking for what is mine. And then on the other hand, Seagull's kind of like watching the ship and saying, okay, what can I get from this? Sure. Just in really simple terms, it's about balancing out what one person needs against what another person needs. And the needs of the one versus the needs of the many and
0: all of the rest of it. And I just realized I'm wearing my equality t-shirt. Oh, perfect! (laughs) (laughs) get orating jen get orating yes that's funny yeah
1: so it'll be an interesting eclipse we'll see what comes of this when venus of course is near the sun and square mars and that's tempering the whole feel of the eclipse week yeah which kind of brings us to the last aspect we wanted to discuss which was the sun square to mars which comes on June 6th at twelve eleven p.m. Pacific time at 16 degrees and 31 minutes of Gemini and Pisces.
0: And I actually looked up when the conjunction was with the mm-hmm. Sun and Mars because if it was during the time we were podcasting, I was going to link to it in the show notes, and it actually was September 2nd, 2019. Mm. The conjunction happened at 10 degrees of Virgo. Okay. And so this is the opening square. Indeed it is.
1: And that's sort of like when we talk about the first quarter moon. It's the same idea of you've gotten far enough along in the cycle to get a little bit of perspective about what's going on and to get ready to make some kind of move in some direction. I like the Sabian symbol for the sun here. It talks about, I'm going to use the modern interpretation of it because it's a little easier to understand. And it's the head of a robust youth changes into that of a mature thinker. Hmm. And it just says that we're further along in our thinking about something that began back, you know, in September of 2019 around, what degree of Virgo was it? Do you remember? 10 degrees Virgo. 10 degrees of Virgo, which is where we just had our first quarter moon, actually, at 10 degrees of Virgo. Right. Anytime we're talking about the mutable signs, there is some quality of, well, especially with Gemini involved here, the sun in Gemini, It's about being mentally ready. Mars is always about how physically we feel ready to do something, to defend ourselves, to go after what we want. Okay. But the sun in Gemini, I think, really speaks to that Sabian symbol of mature thought and not just being impulsive, not just going out impulsively to do things, which Mars will tend to do, but thinking it through a little bit before we do.
0: Yeah. What do you think? I actually have a connection to the next symbol. Mm Hmm? So why don't you tell us what the next symbol is, and then I'll tell you what I think.
1: Ah, the Sabian symbol for 17 degrees, Pisces for Mars, an Easter promenade, which we've actually talked about before. Thank you. I thought we had, and I yes.
0: looked back, and I couldn't find it.
1: We had this funny week that was nowhere near Easter, but we had two Easter-related Sabian symbols. It's like last week we had those two Christmas symbols, or the week before. Yeah. And I kind of liked what Blaine Bovie had to say about this, because I hadn't thought it through in this way, but Easter has very much that resurrection quality. And there is something very physical about it, something very dynamic about it. It corresponds in astrology to zero degrees of Aries, really, that energy of new life bursting forth. But that the promenade is that social quality of how we have to kind of do the little dance and the Company of others, wearing our Sunday best. He talks about this degree as being the wild man in polite society degree. Say more about that. It's interesting because it kind of sums up Mars and Pisces to me in a way. Mars is the wild man, and our impulses are completely unrestrained. You put them in something like Pisces, and Pisces just never works that way. There is always the sense of, for me anyway, there's the connotation of kindness there. Or of suffering, or trying to relieve suffering in others, or that that Mars quality is in some way bound up with the Pisces qualities of spirituality, spiritual awakening, spiritual quests. Or in some way, possibly with
0: physical suffering. So Grizzly Adams comes to dinner.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, something like that, I think. Or Sasquatch, perhaps. A very kind. Um, The Hendersons. What was Harry and the
0: Hendersons? Oh, yeah. I never saw that. So this would be the gentle Sasquatch figure (laughs) who comes to to dinner. Yeah. My connection that I made between this these two symbols is that they both have something to do with rebirth, regeneration, renewal. And here we are with all these planets retrograde right now.
1: Mm. Yeah, there is a transformative quality about it. It's the sense that because we've gone within, there is implied a process of growth and knowledge and self-realization. Because to get from the robust youth to... A mature thinker there's a whole story there of how that happens it rarely happens overnight right and with the other one yes there's the idea of you take that unbridled energy of mars you put it in a sign that's a little antithetical and then you put the two together and it's like because i know better i have to do better yeah for what that's worth that's lovely thank you Jen, there was a question we had from someone, and this might be a good time to address it. They were asking about the true node of the moon versus the mean node.
0: Yes. It's a question that comes up sometimes. When I was first learning astrology, I used to think the mean node meant angry. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if it's
1: an Aries
0: or something, getting a bad square. (laughs) And then I realized it was a mathematical, like... Yeah, it's the mean. The average. Well, what happened was back before the
1: advent of computers... See, the moon has this wobble. It wobbles a little bit. And so its nodes don't move at precisely the same rate each day. So what they used to do was take the average rate of motion over 18 and a half years, which is the whole nodal cycle, and average that out to find the mean position of the node on any given day. I see. But now that we have computers, it's very easy to just find what is the true position of the node, the exact sign, degree, and minute on any given day. Right. Just a couple of weeks back, the true node moved into Gemini. But a lot of people were writing as though it were still in Cancer, and It was still in cancer if you were using the mean node. Mm -hmm. If you're using the true node, it was in Gemini. And look, this doesn't happen that far apart. But it can be important. If you're looking at a birth chart for somebody and you're using mean versus true, it can change the entire sign that their nodal axis is in, and that is significant. Sure. I just use the true node because I figure, well, that's the correct one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, if you don't have, if you don't have computers, you know, it's easier to find the mean node fine. But I had somebody that you know wrote about this question. They said, well, I'm seeing a lot of people talking about the nodes still being in cancer and and the mean node and is that the more correct one and I said well it's kind of hard for me to imagine how it would be more correct when it's not more precise if you
0: have a more precise measurement it just seems why wouldn't you use that and maybe the people that are pro mean have a reason for that but they could very well plus as you point out it sounds better well it does definitely sound better <laughs> it's better to be true than to be mean and
1: it could just be that people are using the mean node because that's the default setting on their software or on astro.com, although I think astro.com uses the true node for their default, but I don't know. I'd have to go in and look. I'm not sure. And just not knowing the difference, maybe
0: they just left it there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I would recommend using the true node myself. So just to describe the nodes really quickly from an astronomical point of view, if you picture the Earth's path around the sun, and then you picture the moon's path around the Earth, it's where those two paths intersect. Yes, those are the nodes, and they move
1: Naturally retrograde through a pair of signs for about 18 and a half months at a time.
0: And I read somewhere that the mean node is always retrograde and the true nodes are sometimes direct. That makes sense. I know the true node can go direct and does. I guess it does make sense. If it's the average, it will always be retrograde. Yeah, that does make sense. Okay. Exactly. Nice. All
1: right, my friend. Yay. That is everything on the show sheet. Have we done it? Ba-dum-bum.
0: <laughs> thanks thanks for laughing I think
1: that's a yes <laughs> I think that is a yes well thank you all for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast we hope that you like what you're hearing And we hope that you will subscribe using whatever podcatching system you are using to listen to this so that you don't miss a single thrilling episode. You can read show notes and full transcripts. You can leave your comments about each episode at our website, bigskyastropod.com. And we hope that you'll help us spread the word. If you just leave a rating or a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, tell a friend about the podcast, share it on social media, all of these are greatly appreciated.
0: We're a small, independent podcast that depends on listener support. So if you find value in our show and you're able to financially contribute... Please go to BigSkyAstropod.com, and we'd be thrilled if you make a gift of any amount. Or you can also make an ongoing monthly contribution and become a pod pal, which would be so great. See, you'd be part of
1: our exclusive little club. You'd be one of the in-crowd, <laughs> one of the cognoscenti, if you will. <laughs> well, join us again bright and early next Monday morning. And until then, keep your feet on the ground. And your eyes on the stars.